This is Death by DVD. I am your host, Alex Nash, and with me as always is my co-host. Hey, hey, cocksucker, I will skull fuck you because I'm I'm the son of Satan and murder and hippie shit. It's really hard dialogue to write. It's Hank. Is that you doing Bashkar, the the lead? Are you doing or no, or is that a, a three from hell thing? Oh, that's a three from hell thing. That's some choice Rob Zombie style dialogue that is just is the pinnacle of writing the written word sorry I was thinking about uh, another movie from the 70s that involves hippies and cults but if we're going to start the show off with a, a big steaming pile of shit I can completely change <laughs> direction yeah a nice mixed metaphor there Hank that's <laughs> I mean that, it's really weaving everything up to the imagination of how we feel about this film well, a lot of, I think people know, if you know me and you followed the show, I'm not incredibly fond of Rob Zombie, but in recent years I've tried to take it back a little bit, and, and I've been appreciative of things like Lords of Salem, and uh, you know his Halloween movies really aren't that bad. I don't have a, a massive problem with them. They're entertaining, and they got the job done for what the subject matter was, and being honest, it's not a lot of subject matter, really, so whatever, he did his own thing with it. But Three from Hell was abhorrent. And and when I see people defending it, I, I just, you know, I don't know what to think. You know, did your fucking parents drop you? Did you have a lobotomy you don't know about? What was enjoyable about it? What can you say? I really enjoyed Pre Three from Hell. It was a, a, a fun experience to sit through. I went on opening night to see this movie, and my driving force was years ago. I got a poster when um, The Devil's Rejects came out. Because of, I was a member of some like forum that the, you know you earned points and you'd get official movie merch from. They used to exist years ago. I don't even remember what the fuck you'd call it to try and describe it now. But I, I really they they gave out on that first day if you went and saw the movie through Fathom Events a poster. And my driving force was I just want this poster to go with my other poster. And I'll remind everyone and you I don't even really like The Devil's Rejects that much. I like House of a Thousand Corpses, the Halloween movies, and. Um, Lords of Salem, and Lords of Salem is my favorite Rob Zombie film, and it's still, you know, eh. Well, I did enjoy The Devil's Rejects. I think it's a tremendous film, and I don't know how you take that setup and you just wholesale botch it that bad, and that's basically what he did. I With this in 31, I just don't think Rob Zombie Ooh, has any that. interest making films anymore. I think he... I mean, I think he wants to do his little thing. It's just, I just don't think he's trying. I don't think he's trying to step out of a box or he's just doing what comes naturally. And it's becoming incredibly tiresome, especially with Three from Hell, because like nothing happens in the movie. It's, it's just one of those like brain dead sequels of like, well, we brought these people back and we're going to kind of 
have them do a bunch of nothing. Um, I mean, you say it might be him being, you know, just acting naturally. And if this is how he acts naturally, there's a serious problem. Then if this is what comes to him naturally, I I think there's a massive fucking problem here. And even like really shitty sequels that just bring actors back, like fucking the police Academy or vice Academy three, they still went somewhere. There's still, I mean, for God's sakes, if you can take Bobcat Goldthwait as the lead villain and then turn him into a cop, you could do something with Three from Hell. I just think that he has this specific box that he is in, and I think a lot of people stuck him, stuck him in that box. I think he got a lot of criticism over the years for all the movies he made, and he just said, "Well, fine, I'll just keep, I'll just keep doing what I like to do, and I ain't gonna listen to you." But this is. It's a mess of a movie, and I just want to know at what point did Rob Zombie forget how to shoot a movie? Because that was the one of my biggest problems I had with the entire thing. Like I thought the beginning, the um, the seventies footage was kind of shot really well, and it really looked like you know nineteen seventies sixteen millimeter footage. Like, oh, that looks pretty good. Um, the acting is a little iffy in the some of those scenes, but it's it's not bad. I I didn't think the movie was going to get as bad as it does because when you get into the movie told you. and out of all that 70s documentary style footage everything's a close-up like everything in the movie is an extreme close-up with no headroom no nothing it's just a real tight close-up of everybody's face doing really shitty rob zombie i give up dialogue and he never even set like a scene in the movie i don't even know like what the room of this scene looks like because it's just all what's cut to the face. What's cut to the face as quick as possible. And it's all handheld. So it's all shaky and looks like complete shit. And it's completely antithetical to like the devil's rejects because the way that was shot was in a very um, kind of classic style and really showing the layout of the geography of, um, of the locations we're in. Cause that's really important to building a tone of the scene. And when you just, immediately cut to close-ups of actors' faces. I, I don't even know what's happening. It's just man, 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 talking heads. Like, all the scenes, even the scenes of violence, I know he didn't have a huge budget, but you don't really see any of it. You see some aftermath occasionally. You see some CGI blood and stuff, but The violence is mostly... kind of incidental. There's not really anything. I mean, I guess you're expecting it because it's these characters and, and they represent some form of violence, but... None of it is even impressive or over the top. It's not even really. It's mostly off screen for fuck's sakes. Uh, I think too. This is probably a pisser of a comment that people will disagree with, but I think Sid Haig's appearance was completely unnecessary and a little bit of a waste. I mean, you do absolutely nothing with the character, and he said some clowns for Christ stuff. I guess. I mean, none of it had any bearing or importance to who these characters are or what they're supposedly supposed to be. And obviously, as you know, Rob has done his entire career. This is influenced by the Manson family and even then it's like Charlie died and you made this is it because if he saw it while he was alive he'd tell you you were a fucking douchebag I mean I don't know it's uh, comparably to the other or well like two or three Charlie movies came out uh, all around the same time you've got one by Mary Heron you've got Tarantino's you've got this and um, like the haunting of Sharon Tate I think and um, I've not seen the Mary Heron film, but I've been told by reliable sources that it's a it's a pretty good movie and it's uh, something to to be checked out. And I enjoyed Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. This uh, uh, and it's it's not even a, like 
I didn't enjoy it and I hate it because it sucked. It was just fucking bad all around, and that's uh, you know boring. Yeah, it was boring, and you had a pretty impressive cast like Jeff Daniel Phillips is a pretty great actor. Sherry Moon has acted; she's done you know okay before. Bill's usually, I mean, it's a hit or miss with him. It depends on I guess the director and the script, but still, regardless, uh, as an actor, as somebody that can speak, he's pretty fucking amazing. But um, eh, there's still just nah. As far as the acting goes, um, I will pick apart some of the performances. It's like Bill Mosley kind of looked like he didn't care. He kind of looked like I'm kind of bored playing this character. Richard Brake definitely didn't care, and he's usually fucking great. He didn't have anything to do. Like he had that great uh, monologue at the beginning of 31. Where was that? Where was that scene for Richard Brake? I mean, it doesn't have to be you know that explicit, like that 10 minute you know, close up of his face, like in that film, but like, where's something like from to really sink his teeth into? He was just kind of like this sub character who said, fuck a lot. The only character he got that all his he friends wrote... together to make a movie again. But unfortunately, all of his friends are really, really talented. And he just doesn't he just likes to have all of his friends together instead of getting them together and kicking ass and making something remarkable, Um, you know, and like, I'm not a personal fan of The Devil's Rejects, but I'm not saying it's a bad movie, and it is shot well, and it is enjoyable. I just don't like the characters. I don't give a shit, and I don't care what happens to them at all, and that kind of is a problem for me as an audience member. So that's mostly my reasoning by disliking it. Well, the only character he gave any growth to at all was Baby, because he made her like more crazy. She's gone crazy in jail but, but she was like honestly it, gotten kind of worse at acting again. She's I, I didn't even feel that was a character change because it's like, OK, we're going to completely ignore uh, House of a Thousand Corpses. But let's just take baby from that movie and bring her back for this one. Because well, she now became she's a loose cannon in the film where like even Otis was like kind of getting annoyed by an her, like just being like this loose cannon. Like he can't control her at this point because she's really flipped her shit. And like if you would have made the character of Otis. Maybe that's what Bill Mosley was trying to emphasize in his performance. It wasn't in the dialogue. I don't think it was in the text, but like Otis maybe getting tired of this life. I, I kind of felt that from his character. Well, I mean, what a is the bit. life? Well, the life of just being a psycho serial killer. Or whatever. Well, I mean, I know, but, like, but that's kinda... like they bring it up in the first movie, which is obvious he doesn't reference anymore. But in the second movie, they uh, are like. The Manson family, well, uh, the fantasy of what people uh, have an idea that the Manson family was like, let's say it that way. And now it's like there's some renegade heroes running away to Mexico. But, I mean, uh, you've shown us that these guys are like a weird, satanic, murderous, ancestral, just awful rapist cult. And now uh, you want to give them Now they're just of, outlaws. Yeah, they're just like outlaws, like a fucking ZZ Top music video. And I'm supposed to care about these desperados. But, I mean, they're pretty abhorrent people. He rapes a chick with a gun in one movie. I mean, that's pretty fucking awful. Oh, the, I will say this. Like, the Sid Haig scene just made me really kind of sad. And it's not so much that, oh, I can't believe you, you Sid in this way. And, and he was so... But just seeing Sid in that condition and looking as sick as he apparently was at the time he was just like oh dude I, you're on your last legs this is just it, it's kind of depressing to see him in the film well he definitely but, um, i think that was um you know a problem that rob even has admitted to that he knew he had a very short period of time and wanted to include him regardless and what i took from that and i guess i can appreciate a little bit is it kind of puts sid into the like quote unquote charlie manson character and you know them them dying around the same time and the movie's release and all that and i mean not around the same time but within the vicinity of the year of, of one another, year or two, three, I don't know. I don't have a firm concept of, of time or, or the English language, really. 
but it, it kind of you know adds to the movie that okay the the main cult leader is dead so um otis is more like uh like bobby maybe or you know there, there are other family members that have come out of the, the woodwork so i get and appreciate trying to like make a new generation of of what's gonna happen and but the way you even left it off is like again like some cheesy fucking country music video some some country rock music video we're just gonna ride off into the sunset and go rape and kill well, for satan in mexico that was a weird aspect of the film because it's like 10 years later and it takes place in 1988 even though everybody's still dressed like it's the 70s and all the source music that i've used well, in it's the movie texas. is hum? It's, well, it's I mean, Texas, it's Texas. So I, I mean, that's what I was going to go. Like, Jeff Daniel Phillips' character but, is definitely, like, 1975, but I figured the explanation is, like, it's the deep south Texas, so he's... I, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't buy it. It's 1988. There's still yeah. a picture of Reagan on the wall for, as well, though. I mean, that's... I mean, Bush was president at that point. But wouldn't it be more interesting if you actually used, like, 1980s music in keeping with kind of the trend of what you're doing? I know you love 70s music, but... Like, what's the point of it being 88 well, even unless you're going to some, actually exploit that fact? He could have recorded some original music again, too. I mean, it, it's not like Rob Zombie isn't a uh, a capable musician, and that was one of the things I really enjoyed about House of a Thousand Corpses was his music and his movie and showcasing his art. But uh, you know, The Devil's Rejects was, was, I think, majorly emphasized and is a much more enjoyable experience because of the soundtrack and the choices he used, which is reminiscent of guys like Tarantino. Sometimes you might not like the movie, but fuck it, the music's good. From Dust Till Dawn, another example. is about like how not to make a movie. And even Rob Zombie will admit it himself that it's like, I really didn't know what I was doing, and you can see it because it's just it's messy. It's just an overall messy film with like a lot of just crazy shit thrown in because he wanted it in there and he didn't really have a reason for any of it and i mean it's still it's got some good stuff in it but overall i was never a big fan of that film and what i liked about devil's rejects is he took all the ridiculous lunacy out of it and kind of cemented in in at least some form of partial reality and you need a little bit of reality to grip onto all these things. I mean, the house with us and corpses is not even so much of a remake of texas chainsaw massacre it as it is of uh, Nothing But Trouble, that Dan Aykroyd movie. It's more of a yeah. remake of that film. It's a rated X version of that. And I guess that's the atmosphere and the environment that I, I really liked, and I wanted the continuation of the, the freaky albino and Dr. Satan. And once we get into The Devil's Rejects, like it's very clear-cut. It's a, it's a different world. And I don't hate it because of that. I, it's just now that you've turned these characters... When they were like... Uh, mad scientist, weird cultist with some weird guy living underground and all this. I, I didn't so much hate them, but when you turn them into real characters and now they're just vile rapists and sick sadists, I don't enjoy them anymore. And, you know, like the Diamond but Dallas Cage. But at least it's a complication to the character. It gives the characters levels because yeah. the way it's portrayed, uh, portrayed in The Devil's Rejects is these are evil, fucked up people, but you also kind of like them. And one of the things that three from hell showed me that what really worked in devil's rejects is William Forsyth's character to break up the, like the space of the story and the way the story is constructed. Having William Forsyth in that film is really kind of important. So we're not sticking to these three characters the entire time, because once you like have to experience them in every second and every frame of the film, they really start to grate on your nerves and really get boring. And plus there's no real enemy for them to, 
to come up against because was it the the black satans or whatever the fuck yeah that, that's what i was the, gonna the say Luchador gang at the very last but, minute you get that opposition that was the william forsyth character with emilio riviera's character uh the the masked satanic luchador he's just kind of he's thrown in he just feels yeah. like added on tacked on and it's bizarre too i mean because like they got danny trejo for a scene and he's playing his character from the other movie who has uh no knowledge or remembers who otis is and and you're also supposed to believe that the three from hell have become this legendary, uh, you know, acknowledged cult kind of figures and, and everyone knows who they are. So it's a really awkward scene with Trejo and then Emilio is his son, who I guess is like a super well-known uh, Mexican drug lord. And it just none of it makes sense because why would all of this? Why does all this stuff happening if all of these people have this power or control? You just shoved a bunch of shit together and made a shit sandwich. But the the thing about it is, you know, we can talk about it as poorly as we can, but I sat in a... I've not seen a theater so packed in years. I mean, it was arm to fucking arm, and I think I was the one person just kind of frowning, like, God, I wish I could fucking smoke, and it was the 70s, and I could smoke everywhere again. And everyone is just cheering and clapping and, you know, yelling, like, fucking killer, you know? Ah! And it, it just was almost revolting to me, the celebration of just douchebaggery, poorly written fucking characters, and a, a, a piss-poor shot movie, and just... People are going to bite it and eat it and love it no matter what, whether they're Rob Zombie fans from the start or they just really like Bill Mosley or, or horror or whatever. But, I mean, I, I, we can harp and groan all we want to, but people are going to fucking go out of their way to see it. Well, what it felt like to me was it felt like fucking Star Wars or some shit where it's just like, oh, here – Here's a, like here's these characters you like. I don't have anything for them to Isn't do. That how I don't it have started? a story. But here's just some like, here's the characters and we'll just I don't know. I mean, you want to see them again, don't you? I want to see them do something interesting. Oh, well, I don't I can't do that. I, but I'll I'll give I you a really two is. hour long movie. I think that's really put hitting the nail on the head there, though, is uh, I remember years ago, maybe even for Bloody Disgusting, Rob Zombie was interviewed and somebody asked him about you know, doing a sequel or continuing the characters. And he, he stated, I'm paraphrasing here, but he stated, um, you know, I'd love to, but Lionsgate owns the rights to it. So, you know, the ball's in their court. And I'm guessing at some point Lionsgate approached him after enough people, you know, were like, hey, that'd be great. We'd love another one. And he, you know, you, you take the money and run, you do what you got to do and you, you further yourself. But in the long run of artistry and releasing a horror movie, it was a big fucking piece of shit. And it's, you know, like I well, saw. See, I can imagine like you seeing it in the theater because I sat here and watched it in a little home theater, and I had to pause it every once in a while. I had to take breaks in this film because I in no way was once. it engaging to me. I was just like, I, I got to pause this. I got to do something else for a second because I can't. I'm bored. I was honestly just mostly bored the entire movie, and these characters should not be boring at all. But you've gotten to the point where you have nothing to say. For these, like, even their dialogue was just kind of slapped together like Rob Zombie cocksucker shit. I mean, it's the, it's it the same drill that. over and over again. I mean, I have an issue and think The Devil's Rejects is pretty lame because of a lot of its dialogue and, you know, like a, a, a bad attempt at doing something like Quentin Tarantino by adding a bunch of fucking curse words to be edgy and it doesn't work. And again, like, with almost the cartoonish nature of House of a Thousand Corpses, I can believe a little bit of that. Like, it makes sense that they're all so fucking foul and everything's pussy and fuck. But, you know, you make it uh, realistic. It's like, okay, you want me to believe in, in your realism here and you've given a, a great presentation with your depiction of violence, but uh, nobody talks like that. People don't talk like that. And, like, uh, with, with Three from Hell, one of the only... 
realistic performances, one of the only people that I thought like like seemed at least like a character was Jeff Daniel Phillips, and he's generally pretty great. I mean, I like him uh, just as an actor. I mean, he he can take a role even if it's walking on like the Geico caveman and and do something kind of fun with it, which generally Richard Brake does too. So that was a massive disappointment. But I really liked everything involving Jeff Daniel Phillips, and I wish when they had done like the home invasion thing, they'd have gone a little bit more. Um, you know, helter skelter with it, and gotten more than a headdress and and Sherry Moon whooping and hollering, and uh, you know, kind of a waste of of somebody like like Jeff Daniel Phillips. I don't know if his name's Jeff Daniel or just Jeff, or if it's Jeff Daniel Phillips. I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to say. I like. I do. I do. You call him Jeff, or do you call him Jeff Daniel, or is it Jeff? Pause. It's the Daniel guy Phillips. who's in all the other Rob Zombie movies, and uh, one of the original guy you know, cavemen. The beard guy. It's that guy. Um, yeah, I just found the movie overall to be incredibly long, disappointing, very bland, which is a strong thing to say about a Rob Zombie movie. But it just it, this it's his well-worn territory no that he's been over and over again. And it's just like the same thing, but worse. That's the fucked up part. It's like I, you've done this before. And it was it like, how did you make it like more boring? Well, too, I think one thing everyone was really curious about was, you know, how is he going to bring these characters back? And we've even neglected to talk about that because it's such a lame aspect of the movie. You don't even really question it. It's like, oh, right. Well, I guess they, they survived. Yeah, though that's it. That's your explanation. <laughs> they lived like, well, all right, I guess we're going to. Just take that and go with it, and and that's really the feeling of the rest of the movie for me was just oh okay so going to Mexico all right did did how did you write this I mean did you just use like a, a I mean random even word just that calendar we'll, and piece it together we break out of jail now what are we gonna do oh, I didn't have a plan past this let's go to Mexico you mean like every other outlaw on the run movie okay we'll do that and you go to Mexico and. You do the same shit as every other outlaw movie. You just you had no interesting place to take this, so yet you did it anyway. And I'm assuming it was basically because they'll give me the money and I'll make it and whatever. And people will do a fathom events and make our, you know, our ten million dollar chunk and be done with it. Which I hope drugs might have been involved in this, but I feel like he um, whipped his dick out and slapped it in all of our faces by making the lead villains masked satanic luchadors and i it sounds great in theory like there's going to be a mass satanic luchador fight and then otis driftwood and all these characters he loves going to be in it nope didn't turn out that way didn't play off that way and they try and do the whole like slim whitman thing from house of a thousand corpses where i remember you plays and, and otis uh you know shoots the fucking sheriff's deputy in the back of his head a really really eloquent and competent scene my favorite part of that movie actually they try and do it again with um iron butterflies and Degada da vida it's a fucking weird thing to say. Um, in the Gata de Vida. And it's awful. It's, and it's a Gata de Vida, honey. You want to say in the Garden of Eden, but no, it's it ain't like that. That's not how it be. In the Gata de Vida. It was a bad uh, scene. It was a bad play. It was a bad call. Uh, it just in general, and it's it sucks to have to review something that way or even discuss it that way, but when you, know, you brought up after you saw it, us doing this, I really wanted to sit down and watch it again, and I had to sit there with my remote in my hand and think about it for like 10 minutes. So I was like, do you really, do you want to take that two-hour ride again? Do you really want to do this to yourself again? And I ended up not doing it because I found it such uh, an unpleasant experience. And if you know me, and I, I say it pretty regularly on this show, 
for the most part, if I, I even don't like a movie, I still watch it two or three times just to get a real uh, look at, at every direction of what's going on here. So not being able to do it with Three from Hell, I guess, is my like most negative review of I've seen it and I'll probably never see it again. Uh, like I'd say with Devil's Rejects and what really made that film work, and now that we're sitting here talking about it and thinking about it, is there was a lot of emotion in it. Um, there was a lot of emotion coming from Bill Mosley. There was a lot of fear coming from their actors. And, and then this film, I didn't feel anything. Because at the end of Devil's Rejects, you know, you got the free bird scene. He owns that song with, with that scene. And there's a lot of drama on the screen right now. Like, okay, I these horrible people I actually have some mixed emotions about, and I kind of feel sorry for them. And in this film, I don't feel anything for them. I just don't care. I don't care if they live. I don't care if they die. It does not matter. It's just like, I really, all I'm waiting for is for this to be over with. I just want to be done with it. And I don't want to have to go through this again. I don't want 65 year old Bill Mosley and like 58 year old Sherry Moon zombie, like trompsing around still killing people and like with their AARP cards. I just, I'm not interested please let this be the end of this. And I, I have faith in Rob Zombie. If he could just get his shit together, get his head out of his ass a little bit and like step out of your comfort zone. You have talent like Lords of and, Salem. I mean, that was a, a really I don't want to say well done movie, but the theory behind it. And I know there's a novelization available that kind of makes a lot more sense based on Rob's script. And a lot of that came down to the, the production company and executives telling him what he could or couldn't do. But something like that was a, a, a well-done ride. And, you know, um, we were talking about um, Ken Russell. I mean, it's it really reminiscent of, of his style of work and very dreamlike. And I, I always had a lot of passion for watching and showing people that movie. And, and if he could go back and kind of recap, I mean, not recapture, but maybe with his own money since he doesn't, I mean, he... Oh, I think a big problem with Rob Zombie and something like Three from Hell and these characters is they're owned by Lionsgate, so a lot of pressure to perform is coming from a bigger uh, a bigger outside company. So it's not like it's just Rob. I don't want to blame everything on, on him for this, but, but it's, it's still the sloppy. The movie is literally a widget. It's a widget you stick in a box. It's a fucking Darth Vader brand Q-tips. It's yeah. just like we've got to get a fucking product out there, and that's what it is. Hey, if you go see product. the movie on opening night, you get a free poster. I mean, that literally was the deal. And then I think it's about selling T-shirts. Yeah. The second night you got, I think, a making of feature, which that sucked. And the third night um, was like a double showing of both of these movies back to back, which would have like been four and a half hours. And I, I just couldn't do that. And again, it's not like I'm a massive Rob Zombie hater, but I tried to watch The Devil's Rejects like, I don't know why, maybe earlier this month, it might have been late last month, and I couldn't make it through it, not because it's a bad movie, it's just like, fucking bored. I mean, I can go back and watch, I've watched Demons 2 for some reason like nine times this year alone already, and uh, that's still more enjoyable to me over, I guess that says something about what my tastes are, but I mean, I just don't want to come off like I fucking hate Rob Zombie. I don't hate Rob Zombie, like, what I find interesting is the trajectory his career has been going because like with 31, I forget about that, that movie. movie on a whole is terrible. The first like 10 to 15 minutes of it is fucking amazing. Richard Brake is amazing. That uh, monologue is amazing. Where the fuck was the rest Brake's of that? No fake. Where is like that passion in the rest of 31? Where's that passion in three from hell? Because I just don't see it. It's, 
And with 31, it's like I have a basic idea, but really all I've got is I got one monologue I think I want to write. And that's what he put his heart and soul in in 31. And the rest of the movie is, I don't know, clown saying I'm going to rape you with my chainsaw, whatever. It was put Fine. together. Hitler midget. We're going. It was put together really quickly, though. I mean, I, when when we all heard about this movie coming out and, and being made, it was, what, like, fucking three months later, it was slated for a release. So, I mean, it, it was, I wouldn't say hastily put together, but I don't think uh, it's a bad accusation to say that no thought was put into this. I'm just going to get my friends together, like and we're going to do some shit, and fuck it. You know, clowns are scary. What's that midget that we did the other movie with doing? And that's what they did, and probably sat around and smoked some fucking pot and created this uh, nightmare. Except Bill Mosley. I don't think I don't think he does the devil's lettuce. And, and really, for anybody who's like, I can't believe you're ragging on Rob Zombie like that, trust me, Rob Zombie does not give a fuck what I have to say about nope. his movie. <laughs> The only person in the horror world that gets really pissed off when you talk bad about him is Adam Green. No, I mean, it's like, dude, I, like, I'm like i a film critic. Your movies suck. I've liked some of your other movies. I will give you props when I see them. I just can't give it to you now. And Rob would go, hey, whatever, man. He wouldn't he even acknowledge it. He'd probably you know, be disgusted that you're speaking to him because he makes a great deal of money as a touring musician and a content creator and an artist on his own right. And, you know has lots of armed security that would beat the fuck out of you for getting close to him. And I, I do, I like what he stands for. I like Rob Zombie, and I definitely am envious of him because what what's, I mean, that's the dream. He's a rock star horror director married to a former stripper and gets to do whatever he fucking wants to, and that's badass. That's what all of us, I think, you know, if we could have it, would definitely uh, would, would definitely take. So I like the guy. I just think a lot of, um, you know, his films kind of suck. A lot. Well, the main issue I have is you've been given a gift. You've been given, like, you've got this name and you have, like, a fan base. I know that 31 is funded by Patreon, even, or whatever, GoFundMe, Kickstarter, whatever the fuck, but it doesn't. Indiegogo, whole point something being, like that. You're able to raise money to make the horror, like, a horror film, a crazy horror film, anything you want to do. A studio is not again even going to get close to interfering and you just kind of like you go for a bunt you just kind of go there you go i'm, I'm on first base Woo. like are you try to go for the home run man like really get out there i don't really even think he went for a bunt yourself i think it was like eh, we can sell this at walmart it'll be fine and that's how it was released if you went and got it for like the first day at walmart you got the disco sucks t-shirt that foxy wears so again it really was just down to selling a t-shirt how can we package this shit What's everyone doing this weekend? Uh, Sid's dying, so let's just uh, let's get it in the bag, guys. And I hate to say it that way, and I guess it's it's disrespectful. Like a lot of people are upset that Sid Haig was left out of the uh, Academy Awards, which I don't think is completely unreasonable. But again, I don't really give a shit about the Academy Awards, so it doesn't really reflect on uh, my attitude or opinion. But I don't know. I just think yeah, his inclusion in the movie uh, might have been better left out, not just because of his poor health, but because it was absolutely not uh, important. At Clowns for Christ. I don't know. Take whatever you want from it. Like I said, I can uh, take some value and appreciation of, you know, the Charlie Manson character dying and the characters being reborn and getting a new chance to do something else. The, the Otis baby and, and now Foxy character. But um, other than that, it's I don't know. I don't see. I mean, I'm trying to polish a turd. So, eh. well, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and be hyperbolic and say it sucks. The movie's fucking trash. It's garbage. It's just really I think I am. disappointing. That's what I got to say. It's just a really disappointing from 
an artist who I generally think has a lot of talent and it's like he just he's not really trying. It's just a disappointing film more than anything. I don't know. I mean, uh, that's a nice way of thinking about things, but I unfortunately think he is trying and that is a problem to me. But I mean, we'll see. It's not like his career's over. I think Rob Zombie will still continue uh, as a musician and a, a you know, a visual artist to to progress and do things. I hope so. I mean, even if he does something again that's utter trash, I don't know if I'll go the first day to see it in theater unless they give out something pretty cool. That's the catch. I will uh, under that case because I'm a whore for that. Uh, even fast food, make a black hamburger. Fuck yeah, I'll try it. I don't care if it makes me poop green. Sounds fantastic. You're a whore for consumerism. Yes. Do anything for money. He's a whore. I, I think I'm done. I think I've said my piece on Three From Hell. There's not really much to talk Hey, way to show up, Clint Howard, for two minutes. Congratulations on a paycheck. Yeah, Clint Howard's still out there doing it every single day. Uh, I read that Ron no longer lets him live in a tool shed behind his house, so he's hustling. You know, he's he's not living off that Seinfeld money from those two brief episodes he made when Kramer goes to Los Angeles and gets accused of being a murderer. Don't you talk shit about Clint Howard. I'm not talking shit. I'm just, uh, it's more about Ron he Howard. He has a lovely I mean, wife and a home. And children. He did in a woodshed behind Ron Howard's house, and he has oh, evacuated boy. it and doesn't let him live there anymore. Ron yeah, Howard's I have, a pretty sweet dude. I have no absolutely one said bad, anything bad about Clint Howard. He is um not an ideal ice cream man. All right. That was an ice so cream we're going to. Yeah, I have nothing I, I can say elsewise about Three from Hell. Eventually, one day, maybe my article about it will be available for uh, you to read and take a gander at. But uh, I just don't have a lot of appreciation for it. I've got some appreciation for Rob Zombie, but <laughs> Three from Hell. It's a two and a half out of five. That's, uh, that's where I'm landed. I, I give it a one, one all around, uh, just a big fat one. But we do All have right. other subject matter. I mean, it, it, we're not just going to uh, spend 30 minutes slapping our dicks all over Rob Zombie's face and telling him he's bad at what he does. Um, well, we have no room to do such thing. Uh, what We're going to talk about hippies. Let it be known that Satan was an acid head. We shall all take this and we will all freak out. Drugs, sex, rock and roll, and rabies. I drink your blood from 1970. Oh, uh, let me I talk spit about on where your I blood. I drink. What did I say earlier? I I, I, you, I spit on your blood, which I, is a very interesting title. Yeah, I got um, it all wrong, and I really like that. But I first encountered I drink your blood um, as a bootleg because this movie was unavailable for years and years and years. They played the Grindhouse circuit. Uh, usually on a double bill with um, I Eat Your Skin. Um, that's what most of the trailers are. Which the director the tra- fucking hated that. that. That really incensed him. Well, like, because even in the trailer, all the scenes are for I Drink Your Blood. There is no scene from I Eat Your Skin in that fucking trailer. So they're kind of, it's a misnomer. Because I Eat Your Skin is like a, is that a 1960s, like, black and white. It's like a voodoo zombie uh, movie. You know, an early yeah, pre Ramiro zombie thing. Del Tenney made it, I think. Is it Del Tenney? The guy, it's, um, it's, it's the guy funny. who did I, Horror Party Beach. I bought a new copy of, oh, not a new copy. I bought The Grindhouse, I Drink Your Blood, and it, it's got I Eat Your Skin on it. And I, I just, it's one of those things, even back in the day, I, I Drink Your Blood, I Eat Your Skin always came on those massive um, box sets you could find everywhere around Halloween. 
And no matter what, I would always start it and get like five minutes in and stop it. And I drink your blood is always what really carried it for me and took it away. And, you know, like you were referencing the first time you saw it was a bootleg. I think that's the the first way a lot of us saw this movie. And if you saw it when you were a little bit younger, what's really kind of cool is there's fucking 280 different versions of this movie, literally, um, because it was sent to 280 theaters and given a X rating. So it was withheld and, and pulled. And what, you know, the MPAA didn't really exist then, but what was decided by the, the film censor board is we're going to let every independent um, theater, their projectionist cut the movie. So 280 different theaters cut the movie with whatever their projectionist thought was necessary and okay, and those are what played. So there's all these different prints, and when this movie went to, like, kind of public domain and was put out on thousands of different box sets, most of the time it's a different version of the movie. So you have probably seen, if you've seen this, you know, two or three times on different styles, you know, from videotape to DVD or beta or bootleg or whatever, it's probably a different version of the movie. And then Grindhouse has a, a set with the definitive director's cut version and then the original X-rated one that went to New York and Los Angeles, which the director himself um, edited. So there is some continuity uh, with, with what that actually is. So, you know, uh, I guess 279 versions are different. Well, that's the one I'm familiar with, because uh, I got mine on a bootleg VHS tape, uh, Japanese subtitle, so I guess it would be the Japanese, maybe it had a Laserdisc of it, or maybe, it might have actually, maybe You could put the whole movie been, on um, this! It's it's a whole movie on here! It might have been pulled directly from a print. I'm not, I can't remember. It's been it's a long time since I've seen that bootleg, but when I first saw it, I thought it was garbage. And now that it's been 20-some-odd years of watching this movie, oh, more than that, probably 25, it's still pretty crappy. Um, it's, See, I, mean, when it's, I, I think when I first saw the movie, I thought it was garbage and dismissed it because I was a teenager and wanted something, um, you know, like when I was a, a well, teenager. Well, it's X-rated, Hank. Well, when I was first getting into horror as a teenager, I wanted everything to be like Cannibal Holocaust and Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, and I, I still kind of do. So I, I really, you know, pushed this aside, and now coming back to it, it, I fucking love it. I love everything about it. I love how it's made, and I think it's very competently made, funnily enough. And I think, despite very bizarre performances, it's very well acted. And, um, you know, the background on a lot of the performers Ooh. and what they've done uh, previously <laughs> to it, I think, adds... Uh, even to that and it's like a well acted i don't want to say soap Ooh. opera because that gives a little a little bit too much credit to it but it's like a well acted um Ooh. maybe high school play like it's it's <laughs> you it, keep saying well acted well, i'm getting i want to get to the level of, of, of where it's at because you've got a lot of um like weird uh, not so much stunts but you've got a lot of weird choreography which unfortunately wasn't handled well with being shot and when you can go back and look at all the acting and everyone's performance behind what they're dealing with, everyone's really, really good, but it's what they're doing that's just like, ah, this is, it's not that anything's problematic. This movie's been accused of a lot of you know, dumb, problematic stuff, which is absolute nonsense, and we'll eventually get to some of that later on. But uh, it's not so much, I don't think it's David E. Durston's fault. But if you look at his track record and his career, he didn't, you know, do anything incredibly prolific. So it's kind of his fault. But everyone else is they really they gave it such a good try. I mean, even down to the deaf mute Lynn Lowry, who gets absolutely no lines okay. of dialogue. You can make a case that the cultists are giving some OK performance. Everybody else in the movie is fucking terrible. The kids oh, yeah. acting is terrible. No, I, I mean, like, his Bascar sister's is acting great. is terrible. 
You, you've got our, our lead cultist. Um, God, what was his name in the movie? It's such a fucking fantastic name. Uh, Horace Bones, Bones is played by uh, just, just Baskar. And he was a former boxer, dancer, ran an Indian dance troupe, uh, an incredibly athletic guy. He's fucking amazing to watch. And you handle uh, him through most of the movie. Riley, the little kid, Pete. Hey, uh, that Fuck little... him. I hate that little porker. And it's not so much. It seems like when we talk about movies, I just hate children because he reminds me a little bit of the kid from City of the Living Dead and House by the Cemetery, who I equally hate as much. And I uh, I deeply wish Riley would have met his demise throughout the movie. But I do have a, a kind of love for the kid just because he's he reminds me of the kid from the Magic Christmas Tree. If any of you've ever seen the uh, the Magic Christmas Tree, it's almost the exact same fucking performance. He reminds me of the kid from Problem Child. Oh, God, no. That kid had some acting talent. Well, I mean, I'm just thinking character-wise, because it's he seems like a very friendly, helpful kid, but he also just seems like a little bit of a douchebag. And um, on the commentary available on the Grindhouse disc, uh, Baskar talks about it, that apparently he would walk around with a cigar and sunglasses and had uh, you know done some television work beforehand and was, was really kind of rough to deal with but at the same time he took uh, all of his scenes with a lot of realism and kind of believed what was going on and like never you know it's method acting but he was a child so no one really broke it up to him but he got way too into it above anybody else but I guess the kid was a bit of a dick uh, which we're pretty much saying he was in the movie too Riley Mills I don't know what he uh, what he went on to do otherwise then you've got the Asian character. You, you've got a token black and a token Asian character, and for some reason this movie has a, uh accusation of racism, which I think is ridiculous because I don't think there's anything uh, necessarily mm. racist. Well, the, the Asian woman is a little like... It's a little too on-the-nose, like, white version of what Asian people are like. The, the mysterious, magical Asian woman who... The, Who's experienced the Far East, that kind of shit. I think they try to address it somewhat with a joke um, that Rolo, George Patterson, makes about, you know, uh, black people get hung in this area. And, you know, he says it very effeminately. And, and I don't think any direction was meant to be, especially in 1970, was meant to be uh, in a racist connotation. I think probably the most offensive thing would be the Asian character committing self-immolation. Um, but again, like that had just happened in, in, in Vietnam and uh, what? No, it had happened in like 67, 66. But still, it was probably um, much more in the the public eye than it is right now. That imagery of um, self-immolation or the, the monk um, burning himself in protest of the Vietnam War. I like George Patterson. Rollo is one of my favorite characters in the entire movie. And I believe, I, I could be wrong, but um, he was in a Larry Cohen movie, wasn't he? God, um, God told me to. Which guy are you talking about? The African American gentleman, crazy I yellow do shirt. Do not remember. Um, one of my I think favorite things that I took from this as a teenager and coming back to it now that I really really appreciate is the awesome battle between Horace and Rollo at the end of the movie with the sword and the the axe. Um, I guess we've neglected to bring up what the the ludicrous nature of this movie actually is. We've talked about. We've already let you know that I think it's good, and I, Alexander Nash, uh, does not, and cringes let a little me, bit. Let me set the record straight, though. It's a terrible movie, and that by no means is it very well made, very well acted, whatever. I mean, it is a grindhouse classic, though. It, there is a certain amount of it's fun behind the film of just how kind of outrageous it can be at times, how goofy it can be at times, just the sheer nature of the plot. 
is um, interesting in itself. So don't get me wrong when I say it's a terrible movie, because it is a terrible movie. It's just terrible in a good grindhouse sort of way. It drives me kind of crazy. The director, David E. Durston, insists this movie is laid out in, in heavy, heavy realism, and that is absolutely ridiculous. And what gives me a lot of joy and what I, I have fun with is how unrealistic um, pretty much everything that happens is with, with what's going on in this movie. And where the idea he, he initially came up with was he had read about um, like Iraqi school children that had gotten attacked by like a rabid wolf. And he went and met with this doctor from Massachusetts and he showed him some footage of these rabid kids that he had gone over and tried to treat and shot. Um, well, he didn't like execute them, but he shot footage of them in Iraq. I guess it would be the American thing to do to execute them, but that did, I don't know if that happened. They probably died, though. They had rabies, so it's not a happy story. Oh, you don't live with rabies. Yeah, you you unfortunately meet your demise. So he came up with an idea of a town being uh, affected by hydrophobia and wanted to make a movie called Hydrophobia or Phobia, and then the Manson murders uh, went down. The Manson family uh, thing went down, and he added that aspect in, and you know, it became this ludicrous idea of... Well, the one thing that's incredibly insane about the entire movie is hydrophobia. I think he took that a little too literally because when you have rabies, you're not just terrified of the water. That is not really how that goes. I found myself like sitting and trying to look this up while listening to um, a commentary by the director himself where he insists, like, nope, this is exactly how it is when you get rabies. And you've just got that, like... You know, when when your parents are telling you something as a as a child and you think it's bullshit, that you know that inkling, like ah, that doesn't seem like it's they didn't do this in Cujo. You cannot so I'm use a garden hose as a weapon against someone who has rabies. So please do not take that as fact from this film. Well, that's where we we dive into the plot and what this movie is about. So a satanic hippie cult. Uh, trucks up to this little town and they decide that they are going to stay in an abandoned hotel and they rough up a couple people and this little fucking kid, little Petey, little Pete, he uh, goes and kills a rabid dog and shoots some meat pies up with rabid blood and uh, madness proceeds from there on out. He kills the town. He yeah. kills the entire town. The original ending to the movie, the, the little kid goes to the police and he tells them, like, I've done something real bad. You got to arrest me. And they're joking with him and put the cuffs on him. And, and he gets really upset and they take him off. And the the movie cuts to him just walking out into the goddamn woods with a, a gun. And I it, it was beautiful and hysterical. Obviously, it needed to be cut because it would. there's no room for comedy in this movie despite it being funny. It's not meant to be funny, but they did shoot a lot of comedy scenes and wanted to kind of do a laugh track kind of thing to give it a different appeal, which, like, the entire idea um, that David had and, and calling it phobia or hydrophobia and making it a little bit funny would have just made it, like, an after-school kind of thing and absolutely abhorrent. So, in the long run, how it ended up being handled and being turned into a, a much more explicit and graphic movie really worked for it almost, you know, like, polishing it a little bit. For me, the photography is, for the most part, incredibly flat. It's not very dynamic at all. The music is can be pretty entertaining because it uses a lot of that um, 1970s source. Like, not even music, but strange sounds, almost like synthesizers, tones, cues in the background. Um, Classic Reunion Massacre slash The Redeemer has a kind of a similar soundtrack in that way. And I, that, I think, really helps carry the film through. Um, a lot of the acting is terrible. What really sticks out in this movie, though, is the plot and how it can kind of just 
turn and turn and turn on itself um, to just new levels of just kind of debauchery and exploitation, which is why it is like persisted throughout the years of being this kind of miniature exploitation classic, just because of how audacious it is at times. How can um, you hate my man, Baskar? I mean, I think he is... He's all right. He's a class act. I mean, this guy... One one of the actors was a stand-in for Sean Connery. I mean, that should say something about his acting integrity. Ooh. Right? <laughs> stand-in. Well, he was um, old, Sean Connery. You know, he needed somebody buff and uh, handsome <laughs> with hair. Um, But just overall, the execution of most of the film is really kind of poor and it's poor in that 1970s kind of um you know like a local film like a region film i don't know you um, make it sound like a don doler movie and i think it's got a lot more core value than that and and especially um i guess just kissing grindhouse's ass how they put it back together that's kind of the premier copy i even noticed despite shutter using grindhouse's copy it's just not as clean and as nice as, as owning it and being able to sit and watch it. So maybe a lot of my appreciation and value has just come from being able to do, you know, that sweet Bob Morawski experience. So kudos, Bob, you shined a turd, I guess. I mean, I still will back it up a little bit, not just, you know, because I liked it and it, it's fun and, you know, it hits me. That's not really a good reviewer or a way to even, like, go at it that – I, I, I do think for, you know, being what you'd call an indie film and a no-budget movie, I, I think it was shot pretty sufficiently in something like um like a Don Dohler movie or a regional film most of the time is, like, super 8 and incredibly just uh, almost unbearable at some points. And I think there's a lot, I mean, depending on your cut, again, of which version of this movie you end up watching, I think there's a lot more quality to to have been had though i will say i think most of the actors were probably uh better experienced than the director at this time and you know not even in an insulting way he just had a lot of professional dancers and a lot of theater actors that were involved on the the experience in the set and i think that might have really helped move the direction of what otherwise would have been just a very stale kind of bloodless uh you know boring general 70s exploitation piece see like i think with the exception of a lot of the plot details, it is fairly stale. Like the, uh, the romantic subplot between the hippie and the sister is just, uh, that's kind of yeah. weak. It, the grandfather too, is a, is a very normal, interesting addition. Well, a lot I of normal versions. Got it. I'm sorry. But a lot of normal versions of the movie, the entire love part has been cut. So I think that's, Good. that's the director's cut is really what features that and something that David wanted to be returned back into the movies. But when I, Rewatched it. Um, I, re I watched three different versions of it this week to get ready for the show, and um, you know, one of them completely had that omitted, and there was there was no reference or even like touch of the love plot. So it really it, it it's got to come down to what version you've managed to get your hands on. Well, I mean, I usually go for just the the core version of it, the X-rated version that's been around for many years. If you like, if you have trusted sources on it, and it has the love angle very much intact um like the 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 hippie stuff is like i think that most of that shit is shot fairly well when you get to any of the other things I, I, again i think it gets incredibly flat the director will also tell you all the other uh, hippie cult stuff is 100 percent accurate that he had a satanic saintness friend in the, the 60s and 70s who told him all of this stuff about satanic rituals, so that's why they shot it that way. Listening to him talks a lot of fun, probably uh, much more enjoyable than listening to us talk. 
uh, but he seems to be a bit of an embellisher, and um, you know that's that's never a fault to something like this because embellishing on a movie like um, I Drink Your Blood probably benefits it. And I mean, there's a lot of fun facts. I mean, Ben and Willard are in the movie. Everyone's favorite rats. That's great. Well, like I kind of he reminds me of uh, Dave Friedman more than anybody. He seems to have kind of the same uh, personality, kind of uh, that carny personality that Dave Friedman has. Um, and I never saw his other film, which is what is the name of that? I know uh, it's got Blue, Philip uh, Philip, My- or Philip Michael Hall. No, 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 no. What's that dude's name? Philip Michael Thomas from uh, Miami Vice. Is it Blue Sextet? Maybe. No, it's not Blue Sex Tet. That was one of his earlier adult films. It's like um, he did the LSD movie. I think the love. I drug. keep want to call it phobia, but it's not phobia. Yeah, this, it's um, something. I, dr- I drink your blood is phobia or hydrophobia. Uh, we'll play the Jeopardy theme because I'll get to it here in a little bit. So um, <laughs> let's see. Well, we're definitely not using IMDb at all. 1964, Felicia. 1965, The Love Statue. Nope. Or, I guess, The Love Drug, maybe. Uh, 1970, I Drink Your Blood. 71, The Blue Sextet. 72, Stigma. 75. Stigma. It's Stigma. All right, yeah, Stigma. Which I think is a movie about race. Um, I mean, he but seems I like a very hip David guy. Stuff. He passed away in pneumonia in 2010, but thanks to um, Bob Morowski and Grindhouse, he is forever immortalized on some pretty great featurettes on that disc, and uh, it's pretty pleasurable listening to him talk and talk about the experience, and I guess a lot of my appreciation, too, for this film has come from experiencing that and listening to a lot of these guys talk about it 30, 40 years later, and, and just... You look at something. Well, the story around the story is way more interesting than the actual movie itself. Oh, yeah. The, um, especially when you get into a lot of these um, old, older grindhouse movies, um, the story of the making of the film is just way more entertaining than what the film turned out to be in itself. Because I would watch a two-hour documentary about Blood Freak if they had made it, but I don't really want to sit through Blood Freak ever again in my life. Well, what ends up happening, I think, is you end up learning how the movie was shot or the difficulties uh, of which they're in or how things went down. And then you go back and watch the movie. You end up getting a deeper appreciation for it, just seeing like, wow, they went through all this to, to get this to come out. And not all the time does that work. I mean, it's great to know how hard you did something. And if it sucks, like Three from Hell, there's not a lot of redeemability from it. But again, this is a movie that trivially can be uh, you know, said as bad or an awful movie. And it still has watchability, rewatchability, and, and can be fun. And, you know, you add on the extras of how it was made and the uh, eccentric, eccentricities of the director. It's just different layers of a, a big cake that is I Drink Your Blood, a.k.a. Phobia. Um, a lot of the making of stories are, you know, kind of sad. They're like, yes, the movie was accused of a lot of animal violence, and to an extent they say... No, we didn't kill any animals, but they do fucking cut a chicken's head off, and that snake definitely died. They accidentally killed the snake. Um, I, they, they don't know really what happened. It died after they did the scene. So, one, he fucking crushed its throat while he was wrestling with it, or they believe, I think they had a veterinarian on set, and they believe that the heat lamp acts, uh, not heat lamp, the, the lights, the lights for the, the shot actually was a bit too much and caused the snake to go into shock. One way or the other, that was a big-ass snake. That's fucked. That kind of sucks. Um, all the rats, I think, came from a lab in Rochester, New York. They were dead white rats uh, in the first place, and they spray-painted them white. And the other two rats, as uh, I've endlessly referenced, were Ben and Willard from Ben and Willard. 
Yeah, I don't know if like I don't know how much more we can talk about. I drink your blood, <laughs> like, um, because for me it's just one of those things. Like you, it's one of those things you have to see. It's like Doctor Butcher, MD. That I think most trailer... people see this. I mean, I think a lot of people. This is something you see earlier on when you're getting into horror and exploitation, especially because now it's widely available uh, on you know every box set you can find. Um, so. You can get a, a multitude of different copies of it, but you don't ever really go back to it. It's something you've seen and you acknowledge, and I think you know going back to it and being able to now have a, a restored version of it really helps uh, the the process. I mean, you can like Shutter, I believe it's available on Shutter right now. You can sit and check it out there, but you know if it if it strikes your fancy, and too, I think it's really part of. Um, taste here with you know how psychotronic how uh, sub submersive and weird you want to get into this genre and this is something for me that you know ranks into a really bizarre weird different world category and it, it's just like a fucking it's almost uh, comedic in its own right of how everything plays off and how the plot of the movie keeps twisting and turning and it, I don't know there's something about all of that together that uh, as a final product I really really enjoy and I find pretty entertaining I mean I don't. I, I'm not really tired of seeing it. It's something that uh, you know, it it will remain on my must see list. You know, you got to check this movie out. It's pretty wild, and it's well, just you know an you, early on week. thing. It is definitely not on my must watch again list because I've seen the movie at least ten times at this point. I don't mean life, watch again I'm... list. I mean a, a must see list. You know, if you if you want to get into some weird, bizarre stuff, I think you really need to see I Drink Your Blood, and this needs to be at you know the the very beginning of like a beginner's list. If this is a genre you want to jump into, check this movie out, see what it what it does to you, see how you feel about it, and then maybe when you get to something like Beast in Heat, ah. <sighs> You might be able to take it a little bit better. Well, Beast in No, Heat. you won't. You will not be able to take Beast in Heat yeah. better at all. It's, I'm lying. We'll get there eventually. But for some reason, I always equate this movie with something like Dr. Butcher MD because the trailer is um, it's very engaging, just like the trailer for Dr. Butcher. Um, the advertising is very interesting and all those things. But like once you get what was advertised to you, you don't really know if you wanted it at that point, I, you sit through it, you watch it, the story around the main of the film, just like Dr. Butcher MD um, and zombie Holocaust and how those two movies differ from each other and all that. What, like that's the, what makes those movies interesting. But at the end of the day, sitting down and watching, like at the end of the day for me, was sitting down and watching nightmare city again. It's not something I particularly want to do. I don't particularly want to sit through that particular Umberto Lindsay film ever again. Um, but but that's just me because after a while because I've been dealing with this shit for thirty years now of seeing movies like this and I've seen them over and over and over again and once you start getting kind of older and you've seen them so many times just like I know what I drink your blood is would I suggest it to somebody else uh, if they were getting deep into exploitation films most definitely it's must see if for a casual viewer I need a I would like to see a scary film tonight I would never recommend i drink your blood yeah i guess i'm ever. a real bastard because uh, if somebody just averagely said to me i'd like to watch a horror movie this is what i would put on but i'm also known to regularly showcase things like cannibal holocaust to beginners and i guess i'm just an abrasive douchebag and, and we'll call you gotta it work up to that <laughs> See, I, I don't like for me 
I, I, I know if I've got a shot to show somebody something, I'm not going to just, you know, show something palatable that is friendly to audiences. I want to sit and watch somebody squirm until they walk out. And if they sit, well, that's the great. Entire, well, but what you've done the is you turn experience. them off. Well, you've turned them off to the horror genre. If somebody doesn't know shit about horror, that's films, not my the- problem. I mean, my, my it is your problem no, because you need to fuck. spread horror. That's what I do a show spreading horror. What I what I recognize through the situation is if somebody sits and finishes this fucking abhorrent movie with me, I can go. All right, let's talk. Let's watch something else. I don't want to waste my time with somebody that's going to be turned off to Cannibal Holocaust because I should have so- shown them something like Scream. That's their problem. No, it's, no, no. It's 2020. It's not like it's 1979 and horror is being banned. They can fucking fuck off and go watch Friends for the 38th time on Netflix. Eh. <laughs> it's about spreading the message of horror. You want somebody who's a novice in the horror genre, I would suggest, like, Reanimator. That's a fun movie. And then you can, like, slow, like, after about six months of me suggesting things to you, then I might go for I Drink Your Blood. But I'm not out the gate going... Hey, watch this incredibly obscure, mostly kind of boring, goofy movie because you will never want to watch a horror film. You won't listen to me anymore because you go, that kind of sucked. And then you just won't watch horror anymore. And my goal is to get people to enjoy all types of horror. And if you, you come work over to into my house, it. I will show you Necromantic. And if you'd like to follow it up and watch something else, I probably wouldn't do Necromantic too. I might do a Wim Wenders movie. How's that dating scene working out for you? I don't, with that attitude. I've got you, babe. <laughs> oh, great. Thanks. I appreciate it. That's all I need. You and a stack of movies. 72 video fucking nasties. When we came up with that idea, I thought, man, this is going to be great until I looked over the list. And now... You got to number four, and now you're just like, God damn it. This is going to be rough. Yes. Going to be good when we finally get to zombie, I guess, at the end of the goddamn list. I warned you. I warned you that I miss you hugging kisses and shit like that was coming up. You yeah. knew this. We were um, attempting to do this once a month, but the great thing about the Video Nasty show is it can continue and carry on forever. I don't I don't think we're going to have one this February. Uh, I don't think a Video Nasty's episode is going to be out in time. Who knows? We might. We might get something it's under our It's next on the docket. And uh, I think we ended up doing this because Beast in Heat. Oof. <laughs> We'll talk about hey, Axe when the time it. comes. I'm but... done. I'm done with research. Yeah, I, I've got to do a little bit more, and, and we'll serve that on a, a steamy platter for you that might be just as aggressive as this episode. But, I mean, b- beyond that, I think our discourse is a, a good side for both aspects of a movie. Um, but, you know, that it, it was definitely made cheaply. I, I would call an indie project, you know, an indie non-funded horror project of its time. I just have a different, I guess, appreciation for its kookiness and um, just bizarre, over-the-top kind of non-realism approach, and that kind of takes us back to the beginning with Rob Zombie of why I kind of appreciate House of a Thousand Corpses a little bit more was just that detached, um, just almost incoherent idea of, of what was going on, and when you make it incredibly realistic, which is funny that the, the director insists, very realistic. This is what happens when you get rabies. This is exactly fucking what happens. This is this is what's gonna go down when you get rabies. It's not realistic. It's over the top, and it's um, it's just silly. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's it's mostly just kind of a silly movie, and it's very interesting that this was given an X rating and was thought of as this horrible piece of art that's going to 
change the way your children look at you sort of thing. Because at the end of the day, I mean, the gang rape, it's is like a bad. Saturday matinee film. It's goofball bullshit, which is fine, but that's what it is. Gang rape and Saturday matinee get brought up in the, the same few seconds. There There is two sequences of gang rape, so I can't understand why there is um you know a bit of tension to showing this to mass audiences. But those two scenes also establish the depth of the characters and how no one really cares. And I, this is a bit of a stretch, but there is a good representation of the sign of the times with this movie and, and obvious cultural aspects of the Vietnam War, the Manson family, protests, uh, hippie culture, LSD, all that shit. And it wasn't like the director approached this from you know some non-hip angle. The guy actually dosed under doctor orders and you know was was privy to what LSD does to you. So. You know, a, a lot of liberties and fun was taken, obviously, with the movie, and this is not realistic whatsoever, but that's where my appreciation really comes from, is just the, the fantasy wackadoo aspect. Well, like, you brought up Don Doerr earlier, and I think I Drink Your Blood has a little bit of the Don Doerr wackiness that I like. Like, in something like Night Beast, the character of Drago, which has become just, like, kind of a running joke in my life, I Drink Your Blood has a little bit of that. It just needs a little bit more of it. It just needs a little bit more of just madcap fun and ridiculousness. And at times it does have that, um, especially in the trailer, but it also tends to drag in a lot of different areas of the film. I think Horace Bones is a pretty great character. Um, I mean, the name Horace is, is a little weak, and despite them going full rabies toward the middle of the movie. He's just such a dick, but at the same time, he really steals the scene. And it's funny, like, Lynn Lowry is, is always talked about with this movie. She plays a deaf mute, and she's hardly in it. Her part of the production literally was only because the director liked her, so he added the, the scene into the movie. She went on to do, I think, a, a, a lot more powerful pieces than, than something like this. But as a beginning, as a beginning for a lot of these people with exploitation, um, nobody ever really went on to do anything else but Lynn Lowry. Still, it, it's uh, a permanent piece. It's something that's going to be forever celebrated, uh, you know, whether uh, you take your opinion or, or mine on the matter. I mean, I think we're both uh, meeting on a middle ground that it's definitely a recommendable movie and a legendary horror piece that uh, maybe, according to Alexander Nash, you should check out after you've gotten into some other horror movies. And I say, watch this and the Manson movie that Jim Van Beber did back-to-back. -back. See what happens. And if you hate movies after that, fuck you. It's not my problem. I'm Hank. Fuck you. Yeah, well, great attitude, Hank, when you're really trying to be an emissary for the horror community. Um, I am an emissary for the Hank community, and, <laughs> and that's what matters to me. You know, I keep getting accused Population of Population one, baby. Well, people keep saying I'm a cult leader, so I might as well goddamn start one. I mean, why not? But what was, um, in your opinion, the most objectionable scene and probably what got the X rating? Because I have my take on this. Uh, I'm going to say animal violence and rape. Nope. Wow. Pregnant woman. Oh, God, I forget about that scene. And I get, well, you know, here's why. I, they, they make reference to her being pregnant, but there's a little bit of slapstick with her character that just makes me think they're making fat chick jokes. Because, like, at the beginning of the movie, when they push the car down the little cliff into the ravine, no one can get the car to push until she comes and puts her weight on it. They call her fatty later on in the movie, and there's just, you know, a, a little bit of, like, Three Stooges uh, handling with her being pregnant. So 
uh, it's very easily lost for me. It's like, oh, I thought she was just fat, and they were making a fat joke because it was 1970, and that's uh, tolerable, I guess, at the time period. So, yeah, when she stabs herself, she kills the baby. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's pretty objectable. That's I get the scene it. that well, like, was probably most referenced in text from back in the day of being so objectionable. Yes, the animal violence was part of it, and just the sick nature of a satanic cult, but really that's the scene that people just go, oh, well, you've definitely crossed the line now, and that's how they feel. It's just like, that's when there's any sort of... Same thing with Anthropophagus, though, that once you've crossed that baby threshold of killing a child in a film, like, people are just automatically distrustful of you as a filmmaker, and just like, oh, I can't finish this film now, because I don't know where they're going to take it after this. Probably not much further than that. That's, I mean, pretty much the the peak to a lot of people's sense of being offended by a film. And I don't particularly find that scene offensive. I it's mean, kind it's kind of a there. last gesture. I yeah, mean, I mean, it's the idea, I guess, of it that is the most um, disgusting to people because it's not particularly even that violent of a scene. And I feel anyway. they only, from what I can find out, killed two actual animals. The the chicken and snake uh, died incidentally because of the scene it was involved with. I can't vouch for what happened to the goat. The dog was it, it, the dog's fine. It was not killed for that scene. The dead rats were brought in from somewhere else, and Ben and Willard went on to have a wonderful career as Ben and Willard, which is great. That apparently it was the great great grandson of Willard that starred um in the Crispin Glover movie. Wow, are people breeding rats that frequently? I, I um, don't know. He was living in Ron Howard's uh, shed with Clint, and oh, they, they found him. Um, I'd say probably what's missing from the film, most of all, though, for what it's about, the subject matter and all that, it's missing some really good 1970s freak-out footage, like um, something like the Monkees <clears throat> movie Head, or something like a very you know like intense scene of how you describe LSD, you know, know. just there's, some sort of crazy of... visuals like I mean, that. I think it's missing that kind of madcap behavior. In the director's cut, there's a great scene with the grandfather when he's tripping on LSD and actually has a little bit of a freakout scene, but since that's omitted, you know, it dev- doesn't really count for the, the full thing that most people have seen. Well, you know what I mean. I'm talking about yeah. crazy fucking lights. I'm talking about Disco Godfather when Bucky is seeing witches and zombie basketball players and crazy bullshit like that. I think it's missing a little bit of that kind of ridiculousness in the film. I think it does take itself a little too serious at times. I think it skips the drug aspect and goes into the exploitation and full drive with just giving them this overproduced crazy rabies and uh, you know shoving shaving cream. Everybody eats shaving cream once in a while in the actor's mouth and and giving just this uh, in like PCP performance over anything else. And I, that's what. You know, I like the, you could cue this up to the Benny Hill theme once they get rabies and start going crazy and just enjoy the rest of the movie with this overpaced, insane sword, axe fighting, leg chopping. Uh, is, there's a little bit of cannibalism, I think, but uh, just over the top, insane, decadence amount of, of bullshit toward the end of the movie. And I love it. It's, it's just one of the capital pieces of bad cinema to me of, you know, this this is great. You keep calling it bad, but this is great. I, I like this. And, you know, I don't think it's something that's incredibly digestible that you could sit and watch, like, nine movies like this back to back to back to back to back. But at the same time, I'm completely convinced that I could watch nothing but Frank Henenlotter for the rest of my life and be happy. As long as it was new. Like, if Frank Henenlotter kept making new things, 
I, I could just uh, abide all my time. Well, Frank Kenenlutter is a lot different than I drink your blood, though. Especially, I mean, just I just made a comparison a of you know people call Frank Kenenlutter bad, and there are certain levels, uh, admittedly, with films like this and Frank Kenenlutter's that you can call bad. But if that's bad, I don't want to be good. Well, with Frank Kenenlutter, I with his films as a whole, there's a sense of like boyish exploration, like he it's like a kid in a candy store. And I drink your blood. Doesn't I don't get that kind of vibe from it. It seems a lot more methodical and a lot more like somebody like kind of like an H.G. Lewis film. What can I exploit and how can I exploit it? I don't. That's not H.G. Lewis. It's Stuart Gordon. I I don't know why why that popped into mind. Never mind. What movie? Pit and Pendulum. I don't know why I said that. Oh, Pit and Pendulum. Yeah, that's a random fucking (laughs) reference. I I Um, might leave that in just because it's a weird fucking reference. I don't know why I even thought of that at all. Just suddenly in my head, I was like, yeah, fucking Pit and Pendulum. Say that. But um, when you have like that level of exploitation with something like Frank Henelard, that is what I'm missing for my drink your blood. I am missing a lot of um, just the... um, I don't know, like so much with the like basket case, the goofy nature of it, like with brain damage, um, the fact that Almer talks the entire movie and sings even stuff like that. Like it needs a little bit more fun. I think I drink your blood. Some takes song itself and dance. In, it seems to take itself incredibly serious, seriously, which I know seems kind of ridiculous with a film like this, but it feels like, no, we're making a real movie here. We're like, this is a testimonial about rabies. It's like, but you're making some fucking crazy shit. Like make some crazy shit. I, I think, think it's crazy enough at times, but it again it takes itself a little too seriously. I think that possibly might be some of the reasons that I, I enjoy it as much as I do because it has this like PSAs thing. Like it, it's got this true feeling of this is what happens if you get rabies, and it's just absolutely ludicrous. It's like taking Twin Peaks serious is what happens when you go to high school as as your experience. You know, I watch Twin Peaks, so I know what it's like going to American high school. No, 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 no. Um, and, and, you know, it's just that, uh, maybe by handling itself too seriously, I have enjoyed, I guess, just really, like, I, I would call this purely psychotronic, if, if I could, you know, call it anything. Oh, yeah, it fits that genre, definitely. So, as something, um, you know, you can judge, which, you know, psychotronic cinema isn't, you know, just something you jump into, I guess, either, and that's something you've been saying, but for me... You know, I saw this early on. I dismissed it because, it, for for the most part, when I was much younger, I didn't care for older films. And you know, anything from the '70s and '80s, I considered older. And I wanted to watch in the now movies. And you know, as we've discussed on the show, like hardcore cinema, things like uh, you know, Michael Maggot and Fred Vogel. And uh, over time, it's uh, you know, things regress, and uh, the ultra violent, super shocking things aren't impressive or ultra violent or super shocking to me anymore whatsoever. Uh, in fact, I think they're a little uh, uh, trying passe. Yeah, they they they're passe, and they're definitely trying a bit too hard. And that really comes down to where you are in your life or what your motivations are as an artist, and that's a completely different debate and discussion. Something like this is a, an influence to I think most people in that early underground kind of area. But it, it's laughed upon more than taken seriously, and I like to take it a little seriously. And you know, we we definitely did. Probably the most serious this movie's been taken in a long time. Well, I don't know. Stephen Thrower wrote a very interesting long review of this film where he praised a lot of it, and I can't say that I agree with a lot of what he said. But I mean, he gets very um, scholarly with um, 
exploitation films. He also really loved Axe, so we'll be talking about that as well coming up. I mean, not to, at the end of the show, get too scholarly, but I think there is a great sentiment and statement on, like I mentioned earlier, the signs of the times and the American political political cult, culture and turmoil that was going on with um, you know, the, the hippie culture and the freedom culture and a lot uh, i think it's a lot deeper if you really want to sit down and crack this nut open uh than it than it gets appreciation for but um maybe i'll do that on a on a solo show i'll, I'll do a 5 hour piece rambling about how deep and politically important this movie actually is <laughs> that's a that's <laughs> uh, a joke. Yeah. we're going to do a drum track yeah rimshot not happening so is that it are we have we shit on ever well you shit I think you shit more than me tonight. I mean, we started the show equally dumping on Three from Hell, and then you kind of sputtered out a few turds on this last picture, and I appreciated it. Oh, I appreciate it, Drink Your Blood. I'm just saying, as far as an entertainment piece, it, after a while, gets a little grating. It's like the, the first like 20 minutes or so is pretty entertaining, but as it just kind of like log, it just keeps going and slogs on, it's just kind of like, all right, let's let's wrap this puppy up. Let's keep it like at, at, you know, an hour and 10 minutes or an hour and 15 minutes. But it tends to go a little bit longer than that. And I just don't think that's particularly necessary. It's certainly no In Cold Blood. But one of the actresses went on to be in In Cold Blood. With the facts. Yep. And with those facts, I guess we close the show. The ashtray is full, the bottle's empty, be nice to each other, all that sweet mumbo-jumbo. We'll be back, right, as always? Unless a meteor hits the the planet or one of us dies. It doesn't matter. If one of us dies, we'll still keep doing this. Um, Because you have cats. You could just... Well, if you die, I'm screwed. There's no way I can even do the show. So if I die, though, I give you permission to continue on. We don't even know which Hank I am anymore, or if I actually am Hank. Uh, If you've been listening to the Death by DVD classics, some very dubious things have been happening on this program, and maybe one day we'll actually get to the bottom of it, but not tonight. Not tonight at all. We got to the bottom of a pack of cigarettes, the bottom of a bottle, and the bottom of Rob Zombie's butthole with the abhorrent motion picture that was Three from Hell, a big old stinky shit. That's my eloquent, uh, beautifully worded review wordsmith that you are good night and have a pleasant tomorrow i got you baby i got you baby they say i love won't pay the rent for it's earned our money's up in spring i guess that's so we don't have a I'm Linnea, and I like Death by DVD. It's a statement. Death by DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. The management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning.